Welcome to the Global Fluency Podcast. This is a space we've created to explore the components of diversity, inclusion, and cultural competency. Cultural competency. And all of the ways in which these components present themselves in our professional and personal lives. Be it language, culture, socioeconomic class, gender, race, ability level, age, or so many other identifiers. Everything begins with a conversation. conversation. Join us in this space where we seek to empower, educate, and uplift by creating authentic conversations on issues that affect us every day in every way. We look forward to you joining us in our discussions with everyone from thought leaders, diversity and inclusion strategists, students to CEOs in the corporate, education, and nonprofit sectors. Let's discuss how we can better understand differences and leverage commonalities. Let's do away with political correctness, explore ideation, build community, and create allies. Let's start an authentic conversation. This is the Global Fluency Podcast. And this is Bertine Crevacor West. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. My name is Bertine Crevacor West, and I'm delighted to be your host. Today, we have special guest Carol Maletta here with us. Carol, say hello to our uh, listeners, please. <laughs> hello, everybody. And where are, you with, where are you joining us from today, Carol? Well, I am based in Arlington, Virginia. Arlington, Virginia. So shout out to all of our listeners there from Arlington, Virginia. Ladies and gentlemen, Carol is a certified parent educator and consultant, and she's the founder of the Parenting 411. I'm so thrilled to have her with me today. And also, we have something else in common. We are both co-authors featured in um, the anthology uh, by a visionary Dr. Cheryl Wood uh, entitled Courageous Enough to Launch. So Carol is in the book. Carol, do you remember your page number? Tell us your page number. Yes, it's page number 261. <laughs> we all remember our page numbers, which I love. So check Carol's chapter out on page 261. Remember, everyone, it's called Courageous Enough to Launch. It's an Amazon number one bestseller. So I highly recommend it. So now, everyone, I'll tell you a little bit about Carol. Carol was named 2019 DC Mother of the Year by American Mothers Inc. She dedicates this honor to her own mother, whose uncommon courage and compassion inspire her still. Carol has immersed herself in parent education for nearly 17 years, beginning with the Parent Encouragement Program, Inc., where she serves on the board of directors and trains to lead parenting classes and present community talks as a certified parent educator. Today, she is a parent strategist and consultant, engaging with parents through the portal she created, the Parenting 411. She guides parents in rediscovering and savoring the joy in their parenting journey. Together, they create a parenting philosophy that complements the personality of the child and restores order in the home so mom and dad can breathe and the child can breathe through and reach their full potential. She speaks to parents locally and nationally about parenting and fostering children's success in academics and in life at schools and other community organizations. Carol hosts the Parenting 411 show on WOLB 1010 AM, where I'm happy to say I got to be a guest on her show. So thank you once again for that, Carol. And it's a place where she explores various matters affecting family life from discipline, communications, and education to achieving work-life harmony, effective co-parenting, and supporting special needs. She was named Radio Personality of the Year Award at SpeakerCon 2019. Carol is a contributing author, again, to the number one best-selling anthology, Courageous Enough to Launch, 
featuring the riveting accounts of women and their journeys to entrepreneurship. She will also release her own book, Mother's Work, Pearls of Wisdom and Gems from My Journey, later on this fall. Carol grew up in Washington, D.C., and now resides in North Virginia, where she and her husband raised their two sons. Carol, once again, on behalf of everyone at Global Fluency, welcome to the Global Fluency Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am delighted, and I've been looking forward to it, so thank you for being here. There are so many things I want to talk to you about. First, tell us a bit more about being a a parent educator, because I want our our audience to know what that is and understand what that is. Because when I was growing up, that role simply did not exist with that title. So tell us a bit about what you do, your education, your background. How'd you get here? Okay. Well, I'll start first with what a parent educator is. And so we offer workshops and classes and programs to help parents to tackle challenging behaviors. That's usually top of the list to improve parent-child communication and then to just create a, a healthy climate in the family for cooperation and collaboration and just to really strengthen family connections. And so, you know, as you said, when we were growing up, there wasn't that parent educator role because, you know, for so many years, people really assume that parenting is just something you're supposed to know how to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we go to school for everything else, go to college, we get these advanced degrees so that we can be the best in marketing, engineering, and all these other places. But here we have the very important job of shaping a human being that is going to go out into society and do good or maybe not so good based on what we pour into them in those very early years, but we think you should just know how to do it and you should just wing it. So you hear a lot more about parent education now, and that's wonderful. So, you know, it can take the form, again, of workshops and classes. It might be private consultations, coaching. So I do a little bit of all of that. Wow, that, that's so fascinating to me because um, as the parent of a, a young boy who's 12, I remember when he was first born and I'm the youngest girl in my family. I have little brothers after me, but um, as the youngest girl, I was spoiled to an extent where I was the baby because we have uh, large age gaps between us. My siblings, uh, the, the two eldest, who are also girls, are 11 years older than me. So in a sense, they were my aunts as I grew up. And their Mm -hmm. kids were my cousins, even though they were my nieces and nephews. So this this whole idea of um, learning to parent, when when we first had our son, we had to take parenting classes, but they were for newborns, right? Parents who just had babies, because Mm -hmm. we didn't know anything. My husband's an only child. And so we were the babies and and we were grownups. And that's the part that was interesting to me, that, that dichotomy that we were both over 35. And mm-hmm. yet we were the babies in our family, you mm-hmm. know? And so how are we going to, what were we going to do with this little human who totally relied upon us? So when I hear that the parent education is a thing now, a much needed thing, I think, um, mm-hmm. I'm delighted because there are tons of people of all ages. Um, and I'm one of those examples of somebody that was like, okay, I'm going to get this degree. I'm going to be the best at this. I'm going to know my job. But my primary job, and I dare say, um, my most rewarding job is being a parent to this young boy. And it's just been so much more than I could have ever 
um, anticipated. And it also has given me this, this clarity as to, wow, my parents really love me <laughs> because I think of how my heart overflows for him and you want to do the best for them and, and all these things. And, and we know our parents love us, you know, when we're growing up, you know, but to, when you have your own child and, you know, be that your biological or your adopted child, you know, or your foster children, when you have them, that just changes the game, I think. So I'm grateful to you and the work that you do. Well, it's funny that you would say they changed the game because they definitely did for me. I have twin sons. So, uh, <laughs> you know, this was certainly something new for me. I wasn't one that always, you know, babysat for extra money. I didn't do any of that. I mean, I did have younger cousins and my sister is um, 12 years older than me. So wow. her children, so her children, um, I certainly played with them and called myself taking care of them. But I mean, I just was not somebody that knew a whole lot about children. And then we had two of them at the same time. And so I came home to take care of them. I didn't know that I would really lean into being a stay-at-home mom necessarily, but it was a good time to just take a breath and see what else is out there, maybe start my own company or whatever. And so um, I did take that whole year off pretty much. Um, I extended my maternity leave. And then uh, I guess when we were getting close to them being about a year old, 13 months old, I decided to go ahead and stay home uh, because uh, we had learned that one of our sons had some learning challenges or developmental delays at that point. And so um, I really wanted to be at home, be the one going to talk with the different therapists like speech and language or occupational therapy, really getting the feedback, really getting the instruction about how we could work with them. I wanted to do, to do that personally as opposed to having a babysitter or someone else, a nanny, do that. So, you know, even then I still didn't know how long I would be home, you know, and it was just year by year. And so then it was sort of like, and I talk about it a little bit in the book that, um, you know, God was like, keep working. He gave me an idea, kind of plant the seed for this business in my mind. But he said, your job now though, is to get them ready for kindergarten, take care of that. And then we'll pick this back up again. <laughs> and, and so that's really what happened. It was just my curiosity about them. First of all, just as twins, I wanted to make sure that I nurtured them. My husband and I nurtured them as individuals because I had heard from a lot of adult twins that their parents treated them as one unit, made them dress alike. Yeah. And, you know, I had one friend that's, I think she was serious. She said her father had them dress alike until they were in college. Oh my <laughs> and so, you know, I, I definitely didn't want to do that. So I was just, I just became curious about parenting and, and how children develop and all of that. I learned a lot about that in trying to help my son. Mm -hmm. So it, this was just a way to put all of that knowledge to use in the way that God apparently already knew <laughs> that this was going to happen. Because, you know, when he planted that seed in my mind, I was like, you got to be kidding. Who's going to listen to me talk about parenting? <laughs> I just got here. <laughs> so. But I love that when you're saying who's going to listen to you, everyone's going to listen to you because there, there are so many people out there. I always say there are so many people out there who's who need us 
and don't know they need us and, and we're never going to meet them. Yes. Right. Um, and what does um, Dr. Cheryl would say? Um, your story is about you, but it's not necessarily for you. For you. Right? Yeah. Shout out to Dr. Cheryl Wood listening out there in the DMV. And, and that, that resonated with me. And that's what called to mind when you mentioned that, because, you know, you just got here, but your experience is relevant as a new parent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a parent of multiples, no less. And mm-hmm. then as a parent of a child with special needs, They're, that's the trifecta of someone needs to hear what you're saying. You know? Yeah, I mean, he said that. I said, nobody's going to hear what I have to say. He's like, yeah, they will. And they're going to pay you. And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is too much. <laughs> but then, then, too, I love that you mentioned special needs because you and I share that in common. My son happens to be on the autism spectrum. And your your story, when you were talking about, you know, you took time off, you you wanted to just focus on the children, Right. I, I thought to myself, I want to be a certain type of parent. Um, I want to be a parent that can go to the PTA meetings because previous generations, um, that wasn't always possible. You know, mm-hmm. uh, my mom was an amazing mom. She was an amazing mom, but she had to work and she was a single parent and she had to always work. And so understanding that she was only to make, able to make it to one PTA meeting. And I remember I was in second grade and I was, and that's how, that's why I remember that day because she was able to attend and mm-hmm. she had to shift so much. And as an adult, I have a different sort of appreciation for mm-hmm. why she was there. But as a child, I was so excited that my mom could come and be mm-hmm. there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but as an adult, I realized that she had to switch her shift. She was a nurse's aide and she had to switch what time, you know, I got to eat dinner and, and all these things. And she made it happen that day. So as a child, I felt special that she could show up and be present for me in that moment. But mm-hmm. as an adult, I particularly, you know, feel special because that was a lot that she had to do. And mm-hmm. so when you're mentioning the type of mom that you wanted to be, how you received that divine message that your job now is to prepare them for kindergarten, that's a huge undertaking. And mm-hmm. then when you're talking about you know, multiples. Um, I love multiples. We have them in our family, but I do love that they're dressed differently because I think that's a big deal. Everyone has to have their personality affirmed, right? And their identity affirmed. Yes. I um, actually, because our sons are fraternal twins, Mm -hmm. so they really look like my husband and me and, and a little bit like each other. And so I said, well, for the first year, we will let them wear the same thing just so that they can look over at the other and and recognize that there's a special bond. There's a special connection they have. But after the first year, it was, it might be the same outfit, but definitely, you know, the the different color. Right. And, you know, so that they could really be different. And then probably the third year, it was just kind of, you know, what they liked wearing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I love that. I love that because children need to be affirmed, uh, particularly in their their early years. From zero to five, so much happens, right? right? Before they even step foot in a kindergarten. And so I think it's really important that that they do get that solid foundation. And it's mm-hmm. the course, I think, for who and how they will become and, and how they interact in society. Because what they see at home is mm-hmm. going to be what they do outside, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes. So it yeah. seems to me like you are dealing more so with the psychology of parenting. 
Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I really was trying to figure a lot of that out. I mean, not only just their physical milestones, their gross and fine motor skills and things like that, but yes, I did really need to learn what they were um, cognitively able to understand in terms of the way I spoke to them or whatever. So it was important to understand how they think and what their logic is like at different ages or, you know, when that comes, when, when logic even comes in, because, you know, they don't come here with logic. That's for sure. (laughs) This is true. This is true. We're hoping they, they develop it and keep it throughout their lives at that point. And Carol, I'm going to ask you, with regard to being a family success facilitator, tell us about that. And, and at some point, let's, let's talk about how that fits into the diversity and inclusion space. Well, in terms of being a family success facilitator, what I'm talking about there, and it's an important part of what you already said, and that's making sure that everyone in the family is affirmed for who they are. And and also recognizing how the actions and um, inactions of family members affect others. And so, because really family is our children's first community. That's Mm -hmm. when they start to learn that other people have feelings, that, uh, that my actions impact other people. And that's how they learn to get along. That's where they find their voice you know, at the dinner table or whatever other form, you know, that's when they learn that people, um, I have something to say and people um, will listen to me as, you know, they learn how to make their points uh, respectfully, all of that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm talking about there. I mean, really kind of helping the family gel and really work together. You know, everybody's kind of affirmed for who they are, you know, if they're understood, but they also understand their connection to um, everyone else. They're part of something very special, like we're, we're depending on you. Um, the things that you do out in the world will have an impact on us and, and all of that. That sounds like a framework for society building. And there you are. I'm, I'm very, very big on community. Like whenever we, you know, in some neighborhoods, you have a choice of elementary school, for example, and or if you're going to a private school, I always talk about looking for community. And when it was time, you know, our children, um, when it was time to select schools for our children, that's what I always looked at. I looked at, you know, yes, I was interested in this course of study that they're going to have, these programs, after school enrichment, all of that. But I also paid attention to how the children moved throughout the school. Do they feel empowered? Do they do they respect other people and um, do they feel like they're in a special place where they're valued? So um, yes. And that happens at home. That begins at home. I'm very, very big on that. Absolutely. So then tell me with the families that you deal with, assuming that they're all types of families. So can you talk to me about the different families that you deal with and any sort of difference, but What challenges do differences pose when you're trying to educate a family on how to be a successful parent or or empower them with parenting techniques? So uh, a lot of parents come because it's it's usually discipline. That's usually what's leading. They feel like their children aren't listening to them. They can't connect with them. This one has a mind of her own. I can't tell her anything and whatever. So that's what happens a lot of the time. And, And usually we're talking about early to mid elementary school kind of that's when parents really want to um, 
get some help. You know, a lot of times uh, parents will have one child and that child, for whatever reason, is really easy. Then they get the second one. And, you know, by age three, they're looking for some help, something like that. So it, it, usually discipline is the lead. And but what I talk about is that, yes, behavior really looms large because they don't know what to do. They're really pushing the boundaries. They're just trying stuff. Like I even liken it to um, a pinball machine. I don't know if everybody knows what a pinball machine is anymore with the video games, but you have the pinball just going and bouncing off the walls. And I'm like, imagine your children, they're just bumping into things because they're trying to figure out where the boundaries are. They're not going to say that. <laughs> they, they don't express it that way. But that's what they're trying to understand. How far can they go? And, and, and not only is it how, what can they get away with? That sounds really uh, selfish or self-centered. But it's also how far can I go before mom or dad are going to rescue me? Like, I want to know. They want to know that somebody's in charge and there to protect them. And again, something else they're not going to articulate, but it is something they need. They need boundaries. It really gives them a sense of security, even if they don't always like consequences or they don't like to be told about the boundary. It's good. It's always good to know what operating space they have to do things, you know, to, how to behave and, and all of that. So that is a big part of what parents come to me with. And I try to tell them that a lot of, before you can really do that, you've got to take care of the connection between you. Because if you don't have, um, if they don't feel that connection, they're not going to listen to you. I read a book when I was, when my boys were younger, it was an African-American guide to parenting. And they talked about this notion of affection, protection, and correction. And so I kind of look at that as a three-legged stool. And that's what I, I even go forth and tell um, parents about it. And um, in the name of the book is Sticking to, Getting with, and Watching Over. And so affection is the love. And, you know, that's great. We want to hug our kids. We want to tell them we love them and all that other stuff. Then there is protection. And that's with the boundaries and all of that. And then there's correction, that's the discipline. And so what happens is a lot of times parents, um, they rely on one of those way too much. Like they're real hard on the discipline, but have you really established a loving connection with them? And then on the other hand, it's, you know, maybe it's someone that's, you know, very affectionate, very, very loving, and they're, they're light on the correction because they don't want to upset their child. They want to be friends. They want to, you know, all of that. And so you can kind of see where you need all of them. And then, you know, protection, you can't be overprotective. Oh, no, don't go over there. Don't do that. Don't do that. They'll never stretch and grow. So they're just, um, those three things really work together. You need to have affection, protection, and correction. I love that. I really do enjoy that, Carol, because that gives me, I'm a visual learner. So I love the, the visual that you used of the three-legged stool, because mm -hmm. if each are not equal with one another, you can't have an equilibrium, right? And so there's going to be, you can't sit on that stool. It's going to be useless, essentially. Exactly. And it's, uh, yeah. And, and the way they described it in the book wasn't a stool. I just kind of, that's, you know, sort of like you said, that's what I imagined it as, that you just can't, you know, have one or the other. I mean, I love that book. I mean, that book, I mean, and it's timeless. It's timeless. Even 
now with all that we're going through in this country, it is, it is timeless. I mean, I would love to meet the authors. I just, I would love to meet them. It seems timeless and timely in one, right? And yes. I really enjoyed you differentiating the concept, the difference between consequences and boundaries. I, I do believe that children crave boundaries. They, well, they crave structure, right? Okay. And a child without structure, to me, is a child in constant distress because that operating space is, is just this wide field. And so I liken it to just not having any sort of equilibrium, uh, you know, like being on a ship and just all of these waves and you're just bouncing up and down basically. Um, and so, you know, that structure is something that once they have it, and, and I've seen this with, with children who have, let's say, come from, you know, uh, homes that are filled with violence perhaps, or, or just some sort of disruptor to their being, right? When I was an interpreter and we'd have to interpret for um, DFACS, which is Department of uh, Family and Children's Services. So I would see these, these children all the time and they would seem like they were lost at sea and that would manifest itself in them, you know, misbehaving. But the moment another adult in the room, not the interpreter for all of the interpreters listening out there, that's not our role, <laughs> but <laughs> the moment an adult in the room said to them, you know, this is what's going to happen and, and this is the behavior that we're expecting from you. And of course, in loving terms, right? Right. Uh, they responded so quickly to that. And mm -hmm. it shows me time and time again, this child needs someone to, as you were stating, um, correct them with affection, right? To show them that they care because that's a sense of what that is. And so then you also mentioned the affection part in particular, because I think sometimes we do see the parents that we know love their children, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's a permissiveness. And, and I think that's, that's also cultural. In the United States, all of our listeners know that um, my parents are originally from Haiti and I'm, I'm Haitian American. So I was born here, raised here, but also raised in a household that was Haitian household. So my mom's famous uh, saying to me was, in the house, it's the Republic of Haiti and outside is the United States. And so, <laughs> imagine the elementary high school years you know uh -huh. just there were culture clashes you know but I find that with my own child my husband is not Haitian he happens to be Jamaican and so then we have our other conflicting sets of cultures and he's he's a, an immigrant to the United States whereas I was raised here so uh, I'm a first generation American and, and he's an immigrant to the country and so we were looking at different perspectives on parenting. And I'd be like, that's old fashioned. Let's do this. He was just like, that is missing that. Now, clearly we both love our son, right? Mm -hmm. But this is um, one of those times where culture plays a part in how we parent, right? Sure. So I would dare say that both ways were fine, but I think every, every parenting style can be improved upon, right? Sure. So, you know, maybe I, I, with my son, I'm thinking I'm doing great you know, most of the time, I hope, <laughs> you know, because as parents, there's that insecurity as well, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. we think we're doing great, but then our, our children decide to do something else, right? Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes it's something completely different from what we thought was the right way to parent. Um, mm -hmm. I remember my mom thinking that, you know, him getting this type of food at this age was 
you know, not good for him. And, and, you know, and I was thinking the doctor said to do that. So we would have clashes on that. So Mm -hmm. how do you then deal with intergenerational parenting? Because now, especially in our society, we have grandparents, parents, and the children living in a single household. So Mm -hmm. is that something that you have to educate people on as well? Now we would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor. Westbridge Solutions is a professional training company focusing on diversity, inclusion, cultural competence, and soft skills trainings. Westbridge Solutions offers a variety of innovative training courses, both in-person and online, live and self-paced. Their clients include corporations, government organizations, healthcare organizations, the nonprofit sector, universities, and individuals such as yourself. Through their rigorous training programs, trainees learn to understand differences, leverage commonalities, and achieve organizational, professional, and personal actualization. To learn more about Westbridge Solutions, please feel free to visit their website at www.westgrouptraining.com or follow them on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Westbridge Solutions, empowering professionals for success. Well, I've experienced it. That's not often specifically something that uh, they come with, but really, I mean, you know, definitely, you know, make the help the parents or the grandparents know that you know, you def- there are definitely customs and and things that you are you certainly plan to hand mm-hmm. down to your children because you know you. You're very proud of your heritage, your culture, and all of that. And as you learn new things, you just have to ask them to trust me on this because this is what I have learned. We have more information now, and this is the direction that we're going. And I appreciate your concern. I know you love your grandchild, and let us move forward with this. And, you know, we appreciate your love and support. And all of that. But that's kind of what I would do. I mean, that's, you know, really that was how my mother was. She, whatever I said that I wanted, you know, done with them and how I wanted it done, that's what she did. Now, obviously, if there was something, I don't know, dangerous that, you know, clearly I just didn't know what I was talking about, you know, she would have, you know, been a little more persistent. But by and large, she just kind of, you know, went with what I, what I said I needed to have done. I really appreciated that. She really did. Now, you know, other relatives, not so much. Not so much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's why the parenting 411 was created. (laughs) I feel like I want to call it 101 because it's the starting point that so many of us need, but I love that you call it the 411 because basically it's information, right? And that was something that I feel like sometimes you you have the baby in a hospital um, and then you you get some tips on things to do and then that's it. (laughs) You are on your own. Right, right. And I mean, and that's the thing. You really have to, even the information that you take in, you have to recognize how this fits in with your family or or whatever. Like, for example, back when I was taking parenting classes, when my children were about two years old, 
some of what I was learning, you know, I had to adapt it. I've got a child with um, developmental delay, so I'm going to have to, I mean, I didn't, I didn't water it down or whatever, because I still wanted him to learn how to be responsible, to learn, to understand consequences. So I didn't let him off the hook, but maybe I said it a different way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and really, even if he didn't have the challenges, he has a different temperament. Mm-hmm. And so like, even today, a joke that would, would go over really well with his brother. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, that's not even funny. Like, are you know, what, <laughs> you know, so, so there was that. And then there was also the cultural, I mean, me as an African-American, the classes um, that I was taking, I was almost always the only black woman, black mom in the class. And so, you know, there were some things that they might recommend and I'm like, okay, I get where you're going with that. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) my child, my child can't do that, Mm -hmm. you know, but I get what you're saying and I can kind of adapt that because it was, you know, it might've been a valuable concept, but I'm like uh, the way my child can't walk, can't move through the preschool and the school, like, you know, some of the other uh, children. So there's that. You know, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how the parenting 411, especially as you were saying, in the current times we're evolving through, Uh how does the parenting 411 provide a unique perspective to help kids who are underrepresented um, in many spaces? How does it help their parents, I should say, to help them navigate these spaces? Well, I start from the first point, and that is that. I really see racism and uh, discrimination and assigning stereotypes to people as really rooted in two things, fear and ignorance. I mean, it's ignorance like at its truest point, at its truest level. Like you do not know about other people. You do not understand how other people think and you don't know enough about their history. You don't care. So you just kind of assign these values and these labels to people. So there's the ignorance. And then there's the fear, okay? Because you don't know, you haven't taken the time to educate yourself. And, you know, so there's a bit of laziness there, but it's also, some people are afraid to find out that the myths that they've been brought up on, you know, like this whole race thing, they're afraid to find out that it's not true. Right. (laughs) Like there isn't a superior race, you know, a group of people or whatever. And that kind of messes with people's psyche. And honestly, I think that's what's going on. (laughs) A big part of what's going on right now. And so then it becomes how can you raise children who are courageous enough to venture out, learn about other people and realize it takes nothing away from them. That just as they may be, they love their family and are proud of their parents, their family's heritage, there are other people that feel the same way about their lifestyle and they're not giving it up. And that doesn't hurt you. I mean, what you can do is sit down and find the best of both and really create something greater. And then, of course, it's just to eliminate the ignorance. Start talking about it. Now, because there's some things that we do as parents, we don't even realize it, that, you know, gives children negative ideas about people that look different from them. I mean, they're not, they're certainly not born with it, but, you know, sometimes we're quiet. We don't say anything 
And so they're like, oh, well, if they're not talking about it, it must be bad. Or if our children do ask questions like, why is her hair like that? You know, like if it's different, you know, why is, why is her hair curly and ours is straight if you're a white parent or, or anything, you know, any um, parent. And you're like, well, don't say that. Well, she can't make a, your child can't make a simple observation. I mean, their hair is curly <laughs> or, or ours is curly and theirs is straight or whatever, kinky, whatever. It's different. And that's fine. They have hair. We have hair. I mean, you know, I mean, just to make it, just to simplify it. And so, you know, diversify, diversify their, I say their bookshelf, their toy box and their screens. They should see other people. They should see people that look like them, whoever, whatever it is, black, white, whatever. And, and children and children in books that look like other people and in different roles. Like, you know, there should be some, there should be some books and media where people of other cultures are winning or saving the world or whatever is going on, you know, and, you know, so diverse roles and diverse people, and then spend taking the time to form some real friendships with other people, like at school or, you know, in the neighborhood and all of that. I'm getting to know other people. And then just the way um, parents engage with people out in the world, you know, if you, you know, aren't respectful of people, say, for example, if they're people on, you know, in frontline jobs or something like that at the store or in the doctor's office or, you know, whatever, engage with them, show them, show them the same respect as, you know, people in your family or your close friends. And then, of course, there's the travel. Uh, there should be opportunities to, to do that. Um, and, and I'm not even talking about being fancy or anything like that, but when you, when you travel, get to know people that live in the areas that you're going to. Uh, and then uh, learn, take in different entertainment, go to see plays, go to museums and, uh, you know, learn about other cultures that way. So, you know, that can start to eliminate the ignorance. And then remind them about their own their own culture because um, you know I saw a study uh, recently where it showed that black people see their race and their culture as being an, an integral part of their being who they are whereas white people that participated in the survey did not see their ethnic culture or whatever as being central. To their being. And so I think that all children should know where they come from and celebrate that because it does a few things. I mean, not only does it instill cultural pride in them as individuals, but it also plants the seed that other people feel that way about where they came from too. (laughs) So you're not the yardstick, you know, or the benchmark, you know, you're just one slice of life and they're another. And so I think that when we we start with that, we can really begin to, you know, bridge the gaps. And then, you know, there's just also some fundamental things that you should do. You should instill in your children that don't have, you know, specifically have to do with culture, but just making them feel connected within your family, making sure that they know that they're valued and 
respected and they're part of something special right in your own family. And then, so they're feeling connected, find opportunities to help them to feel capable, teach them how to do, you know, valuable life skills and, you know, pursue their interests, give them responsibilities around the house and just create moments where they're always learning new things that they can do. And, you know, give them a say in family matters, solicit their ideas, even little kids solicit their ideas. They feel so powerful and so, so proud (laughs) and confident when they realize that people actually listen to them, actually think they have something valuable to say. And, And then, you know, create those moments where your children can feel really courageous, you know, express confidence in their ability to meet challenges and don't, you know, rush in to rescue them all the time. Um, allow them to, you know, be uncomfortable sometimes and figure out some situations on their own because these are the kinds of um, moments that really build courage and, and help them to, um, to believe in themselves. And, you know, with bullying or racism, it's really, you know, insecurity and hurt that causes us to cause that in other people. And then, you know, I think I talked about it in the beginning, just nurturing a curiosity uh, about other people. Like, always be interested in learning about other people, whether it's people that you uh, read about or hear about on the news. Just learn more about people. Learn the backstory. Like, even with the racial unrest um, that's going on in our country, now would be a great time for non-Black and Brown families to give their children some perspective, some history, you know, really, if they don't already know the history, the true history of this country, now would be a great time to to share that with them. And, you know, uh, again, just, uh, you know, recognize and respect the value of different perspectives. And that starts at home. I mean, the way you all handle disagreements at home uh, will translate into how um, your children go out in the world and handle disagreements or, or actually differences of opinion even with other people and just model compassion and empathy for others. And those are kind of some fundamental things that can start to really lay the groundwork for your children to understand, respect, and embrace diversity. I love all of that. There are so many gems in that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like our listeners, that was a part of what you should make as your framework um, when mm-hmm. you're thinking about how, you know, how to parent your own kids, because a lot of our listeners are parents. And so mm-hmm. I think that what you said, I mean, there are so many gems with regard to representation, with regard to creating experiences for your children, with regard to giving your children a voice. Mm-hmm. I, I particularly appreciate that part because um, that's something that we strove to do in, in our household was to ask our, our son, what would you like to do today, you know, on the weekend? Because that was going to be his time in particular, right? And that was going to be family time. So what would you like to do today? And so, you know, I would have my own ideas. My husband would have his. And so we do something from each person's request list, right? And yeah. so, and we did that from the time he was old enough to tell us what he wanted to do. And so he became accustomed to that. He, become, he became accustomed to being a true member of the family, right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and with regard to travel, um, we love to travel. And prior to the pandemic, we did a lot of that. And I want our listeners to to understand that travel doesn't have to necessarily mean, as you said, Carol, um, some place that's on the opposite side of the planet. It can be, but it can also be walking through your neighborhood, waving hello to neighbors, letting them see you and, and see differences that may exist, right? And and also, I think when people see us out in the world, they recognize, you know, oh, that's, you know, this family, that's this family. And what was that saying? Um, there was a song, these are the people in your neighborhood, the people oh, yeah. mm-hmm. each day, right? I and so I love seeing that. And, and I even say, you know, um, when it's um, time for the garbage to be picked up on a particular day, um, particularly when he was tiny, I wanted him to see different sorts of community workers. So like essential workers, like we were talking about, and he would just, you know, wave hello to them. And, and they were so lovely and gracious, they would wave back. And that's how he learned who his neighbors were on a different level, right? And that's how he learned about people working in, in the neighborhood to help support one another. So the um, postal service worker, the, the um, sanitation workers, you know, and then we would go to different places like the, the grocery store. So I made sure that as he was growing up, these are the things that he did. And then we augment them as we go on, right? So now that you're here with me, you have to push the cart now that you're tall enough to push the cart, not actually sit in the cart, right? And then what would you like, you know, to have? You can have one, you know, treat that you want because if I if I let him reign supreme, he would get all of them. But <laughs> I gave him options, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I love seeing other parents do that too because we do also have to let them fail a little bit, as you said, because we have to let them experiment and see how far they can go if they try on their own, but also understand that they won't always win first place, right? So we have to prepare them for that. And, and I, I think here, um, what I see in the United States is these, um, everyone gets an award. I'm not down for that. <laughs> I, we, we are just, and, and I might be, you know, one of the few remaining that are left this way, but but I, I do think it's important to understand that it's not a loss per se, it's a lesson, right? Mm-hmm. So if you don't get first, and, and we do that here, if you didn't get first, second, or third place, it's not going up on the fridge. <laughs> so, oh. and, you know, and I know it's terrible, but <laughs> one time we came home with a fourth place award, I was like, what is this? You had a nice time? Great. This is not going up on the fridge. <laughs> and so then I realized, I know that's probably going against what you're, what you're saying in your framework. But that's when I realized that, you know, particularly as a child with special needs, I want him to understand succeeding and winning, but also enjoying the experience. Right. And so we here in the family, we have just, we like humor a lot. And mm-hmm. what is interesting now is that he has that sense of humor too and and it's a bit mischievous and so rather than you know stamp that out you know we kind of let him reign free with it a little bit because this is also creating boundaries and creating spaces right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I I want our listeners to know that you can you know you can do all of these things right all of the the wonderful suggestions that you mentioned this wonderful framework can be applied to to all of their lives with their kids but it, it has to be applied according to what you can do, right? Um, some people can drive across country in an RV and that might be their happy place, right? Mm-hmm. And so do that with the kids. Others, you know, will be locally around the neighborhood. Do that. Others will be on a plane. When we can do that again, <laughs> let's do that, right? 
So in, in conclusion, I want to ask you, what are two things that you'd like to impart upon our listeners? Well, um, you know, I guess I would just, it has a lot to do with the times that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. And that is to find opportunities to allow your children to develop courage. I mean, because there's, there's just so much that they can do, but it all starts there with them being um, courageous enough to get out there, to try things and all. And then when you send them out there, make sure that they're armed with the information. It's really, it's almost the same as trying to end racism, you know, where it gets back to ignorance and fear. Ignorance and fear can really, it can stunt your growth as an individual. And it can also wreak havoc on the lives of other people if you don't have those two under control. Wow, that is powerful. That is powerful. I knew that we would have great conversation with you <laughs> on the show. I am delighted that you were able to be here to share this with our audience, to share this with me, because as a parent of a 12-year-old, I'm still evolving. And so learning from other parents, I, I want our listeners to know that this is something that never has to end, right? Um, mm-hmm. As long as your kids are kids, you're going to learn something new every day. And just when, at least for me, when I think, okay, I've got this, he does something different. <laughs> and so then I'm trying to catch up with that. So kids definitely keep us on our toes. So I commend you for the work that you're doing. It's Thank so you. important. It's so vital. It's so necessary. And, and I do love that this exists So I thank you for creating this space for parents to learn and to grow and to continue to evolve with their kids. So having said that, where can parents like me find you? Where can our listeners find you? Please share your social media with us. Sure. So I have the Parenting 411 community group on Facebook. So I'd love to have your listeners meet me there. Um, I offer... uh, weekly sessions, interview sessions, usually 30 minutes to an hour, really kind of low key and casual, but I do bring people, interesting people on, or sometimes I just tackle a topic and go out with that. I'm also going to be offering master classes in that space. So that's the Parenting 411 community on Facebook. And then on Instagram, I am the Parenting 411 and as well as Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And my website is carolmuleta.com, C-A-R-O-L-M-U-L-E-T-A.com. And everyone, please remember that this is your show. So let us know what you thought about this episode. Let us know tips that Carol has shared that have helped you. We love receiving your feedback. We love hearing what you think. And we love knowing, you know, what guests you want to see next. So Carol, I thank you. The audience thanks you for being on the Global Fluency Podcast. And we hope to have you back again because I know, especially during these times, parents are going to have questions. Parents are going to, parents are struggling right now. Um, a lot of them in the United States with the pandemic going on. And so um, I'm inviting you right now to come back again and share some more tips and insights with all of us. And to all of our listeners out there, remember, let's keep the conversation going. So Carol, thank you so much for being on our thank show you. today. Thank you so much. And so for everybody, you'll catch us on the next episode. So until then, I'm your host for Team Prevacore West from the Global Fluency Podcast. And let's remember to please keep the conversation going. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. 
Tune in every Tuesday of the month at 10 a.m. for our latest episode. Connect with us on our social media. You can find us on Facebook at Global Fluency Podcast and on Instagram at Westbridge Solutions, LLC. Global Fluency Podcast. Understanding differences. Leveraging commonalities. Let's keep the conversation going, going, going.